Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. What a privilege to be among the living, to be a recipient of God's bountiful blessings. Before we get into our study tonight, there's a couple of statements I made the last time that I'd like to say again, and uh, because there's something else I'd like to say about it. Amen. I guess that's the way to put it. Anyway. I know you won't remember, but, and uh, the only way I remember is because I looked at my notes from last week, so I got them copied here. But last week I made this statement. The Holy Spirit that Luke refers to that God grants to those who ask him is not a reference to the same, same <laughs> to the same experience. I set my clock, okay. Okay. Uh, it's not a reference to the same experience that we received at Pentecost. That, it is, that is, it is not in the same measure. I don't know if you remember me saying that or not, but I did. And then the second thing I said in reference to that, even the references we have of John, Elizabeth, and Zacharias, where it is stated that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, occurred prior to Calvary and must have been a special visitation of God upon them for that to occur. And what I, I guess I'll say should have done, but I did not do, but I'll do tonight before we get into our main study, is to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 7 to, uh, I guess, clarify somewhat this statement because it does specifically say that John was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost when she heard the news about Mary. And also Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost when John was born and afterwards. But notice what it says. I think that helps us to better understand what, has, what took place. In John chapter 7, the Lord was at uh, one of the great feasts. In, ver in verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Reminds us of what the Lord said to the woman at the uh, well of Jacob in Samaria in John 4. Remember, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of water that I give them will never thirst, but it will be in them. Amen. But anyway, notice particularly the, la the next verse, 39, where Luke, uh, or rather John, I guess we'll say, clara it's in parentheses, he's clarifying, if you will, why or how Jesus said this and why he said it. But this spake he of the Spirit, that belly will flow out of your belly will flow rivers of water this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given oh but we read back there in Luke chapter 1 that 
John had received it. Uh, Zacharias received it. Elizabeth received it. But John says, he explains here, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit, there had to be a Calvary because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. It is His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. But anyway, I wanted to clarify that. I know I threw a, a lot of scriptures at you last week because of the subject matter that we dealt with about what is the Holy Ghost because there are so many verses I wanted to emphasize or share with you. I only gave you 46 verses last week, so, so I tell you, I'm going to be a little, a little easier. I'm only going to give you 23 this week, so just half as much. Isn't that great? But I thought it'd be appropriate because this that we experience, the church that had its birth, as far as we are concerned, on the day of Pentecost, as described in, in Acts chapter 2, of course, in the mind and the will of God, the church had been in his mind and wills before we hung that first star, I guess we could say, in the beginning. But anyway, it all began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So the book of Acts is our history book. It's our, that's not the right word, I guess, to use. But anyway, for a sinner, that's the only book he needs to read. He doesn't need to book, read the book of Revelation although he could tell you what it means probably, but he doesn't need to read the book of Revelation. He doesn't need to read the book of, he really doesn't need to read the book of John necessarily if, unless he goes on to the book of Acts because it's only in the book of Acts where the plan of salvation is found for us in this uh, age in which we are living, the, uh, the uh, age of the Holy Ghost. It is in the book of Acts where we, we are told about repentance, death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But anyway, the day of Pentecost was one of the most important feasts of Israel. They had seven feasts during the year, and Pentecost was one of those vitally important ones. Uh, it was so important that Luke lists in the book of Acts, he lists the number of people or the number of nations that were represented there. Right. And, and I've read that dozens of times and I still don't know figure out I still can't figure out how many are I think I've got it figured out and then I read it again and think well I don't know 16 nations 17 nations 15 nations I don't know but there's a bunch of them wherever there were Jews that had been dispersed from their homeland and had been sent out to other countries they had sent represented because the law had required that they, men particularly, attend three different feasts during the year. Pentecost was a very important uh, a feast for the, all of the people of Israel. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Out of every nation under heaven. Now, I don't mean to get off the the track here too much but let me just throw something at you okay if it doesn't stick to the wall let it fall to the floor but we have heard a time and a time and again in the book of Matthew 24 it says 
And this gospel of the kingdom, when it's preached to all the world, then will be the end. Huh. Well, it looks to me like in Acts chapter 2 was preached to all the world right then. Because it says that there were men out of every nation. Every nation was represented at Pentecost in Jerusalem. Now, don't throw your songbook at me because I know you can't because we don't have songbooks anymore. <laughs> but I, I, and I, that's me. I know I bring up controversial things to get you thinking, so I hope you quit thinking about that. <laughs> but anyway, God chose this, this day, Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover, uh, to birth his church. And Luke records in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. <clears throat> now, while the church was part of God's eternal plan and purpose, in fact, Paul refers to it as the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in Ephesians 3 and 11. So from the very beginning, God knew he was going to have a church, and he chose this day to birth the church, the day of Pentecost. And uh, Luke records for us the last visit that the apostles had, the disciples had with Jesus in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Remember when he met them, they met him on the Mount of Olivet before and watched him ascend. But verse 49 said, Jesus said to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, let me mention something else, okay? This is... The, this is the only place in our Bible where we are told for anybody to tarry. There's never an altar call given by the apostles. Never a tearing service. Once the Holy Ghost was given, it was receive it. It's there. It's here. It's available. And I don't mean to be, yes, I do. But anyway. This is the only, only place where I find any reference to instructions about tearing. And they had to tarry because it wasn't time for the Holy Ghost to be poured out. But folks, it's time now. There's not a reason for anybody to leave this service tonight without the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I, I pray. Anyway, let me say something else. Uh, in the book of Luke, rather, excuse me, in the book of Acts, in verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, uh, the Bible there, Luke records, being assembled together with them, speaking of Jesus, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, again, tarry, if you will, for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So stay, go, and wait. The admonition from the Lord was that they stay in Jerusalem in a designated place and wait for the promised comforter. There's no passage that I could find which the Lord were, gave any specific information as to just when the comforter would come. He just said, go and wait for it. Go and wait for it. 
It's kind of like to me, I, when I read this again and again, it, it, it kind of brought to my attention, my thoughts. We don't know when the Lord's coming. There's no scripture in anywhere. There's no scripture that gives us specific signs relative to the return of Jesus Christ. He said, watch and pray always. He's coming as a thief in the night. We don't know when he's coming, but we know he's coming. I have, often, I have wondered, of course, and you as well probably, it speaks of the 120 in that upper room, and they waited all these days for the promised comforter. I wonder if there was 120 on day one. I wonder if they was there were 120 on day one, and that stayed, I don't know. I'm just, again, I'm throwing stuff out. But anyway, nor, nor are we given any specifics that I'm aware of as to exactly what would happen. I wonder the, the apostles, you know, or the 120, more than apostles. I wonder if there was communication among the talking among them all because they were there all those many days as to what's going to happen. I wonder how we're going to know. How we're, what are we going to feel? What are we going to, I know Mark, or, yeah, Mark records in chapter 16, these signs shall follow them. They believe that we do have reference there to speaking in tongues and whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to wonder what, what they talked about. How can, what, do you, what do you talk about for all those days? Now, we have no reference to the Lord stating that this phenomenon would appear on this day of Pentecost. None. He just says, go wait. Go wait. I think that they maybe could have a good impression or good feeling or thought. Surely it's going to be on this feast day. But anyway, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said to them, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. <laughs> How many days are hence? Not many days hence. Now, the Lord did inform them what would happen to them once they had been baptized with the Holy Ghost, what, what would take place in the sense of, uh, well, let me, read, let me note chapter 1 of Acts in verse 8, where the Lord said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and to the uttermost uh, part of the earth. Uh, I need an iPad. If I just knew how to operate it. I'm almost like Vicky, but anyway. Because <laughs> I got all these papers. But anyway, these are the apostles who had been anointed. They had been commissioned to go forth uh, in fact, Matthew tells us in chapter 10 and verse 7 and 8 where the Lord commissioned them and sent them forth two by two. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. And yet the Lord tells them here, you're going to receive power. My, my, I thought they already had some power. If you cast out devils, that sounds powerful. If you heal the sick, that sounds like powerful. If you raise the dead, I know that's powerful. So there's something about the Holy Ghost that's more powerful, more glorious, 
than what they had experienced. Remember, they came back from that tour and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Amen. But anyway, evidently the power they would receive that's promised to them would be unique indeed, considering what they had already been through. They would take their message far beyond the walls of Jerusalem as well as far beyond the country of Israel and a mission that continues to be carried out today. They were preparing for an experience that mankind had never known, an experience prior to A.D. 30 in that upper room. A new day dawned in that upper room. The first mention of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is described for us by Luke again in chapter 2 of Acts, that familiar and powerful passage of Scripture and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. Oh God, would that that spirit would fall here tonight. Amen. I'd like to be filled again. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My, my, that's powerful. Let's break it down a little bit. First, Luke said there was a sound, a sound that came from heaven. The Lord had ascended into the heavenlies. They had watched him. And now he had told them, I must go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come, but if I go away, I will send. I will send the Holy Spirit. So here it comes. Here it comes and, and initiates, births the church. And Luke says, as of a the sound was as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, we don't want to get carried away here and thank the Lord sent a, a cyclone or a tornado through that upper room. I don't think anybody lost their toupee or anybody got their hair messed up or anybody lost their toga or whatever. I don't think that happened. I don't think anybody got blowed against somebody else. No, it says it was a sound as of. Mm, I'd like to hear some sounds like that. It filled all the house in that upper room was, was filled if there was anybody in that room, they received the Holy Ghost. It was everywhere. It filled. It filled the Holy Ghost. It filled the house, rather. That they were where the Luke says where they were sitting. Amen. Now, I know that's again one of those words. Now, out of curiosity, I had to look at it. I did right before church. Sitting. You know, you imagine 120 people sitting. Maybe cross-legged on the floor. Surely there wasn't 120 pews up there, seats up there, or chairs up there. So the word sitting, it not only means sitting as we think of, sit, like you're sitting, except Brother Dylan, he's standing, you know, but he's got a ride. He's, but anyway, they were sitting. It, it not only means to be sitting literally, but it also means remain. It means reside. It means dwell. So I don't know literally, physically how, but this is the way Luke 
described because they had been residing there for a while. If they had been there for, and let me say something else, okay? Now, this is stuff I'm saying that, again, you, you, you do with what you want to, but I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> in the, in the, where they were sitting. Remember, Jesus died, was crucified, and the day on Passover day, or the day met, anyway, he was in the tomb three days and three nights, was he not? I don't believe in Friday, Saturday, Sunday mess. I believe is in, he believe is, I believe is in the tomb three days, or the, you don't need to back up and clarify that. I don't believe he's in the tomb three days and three nights. I believe that's where they put his body, but he didn't stay in there. He was somewhere else. He was preaching to the prisoners even, wasn't he? But anyway, three days and three nights. And then Luke says in, in Acts that he showed himself alive with infallible proofs. How many days? Well, 40 days. Showed himself alive with infallible proofs for 40 days. Three days in the tomb or three days dead or whatever. Or anyway, and 40 days, how many days does that make? 43. And Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So how many days did that leave? Sound like seven to me. I know I went to a very small school called Beach Corner in southeast Missouri, but I believe even that. I learned that 440 and 3 equals 43 and 7 more me equals 50. But again... That has nothing to do with our study, but I just put it up. <laughs> but the point is, they were there a long time waiting for the outpouring of God's Spirit. And the, Luke says it was cloven tongues. That is, to cleave asunder, as one described it, to cut in pieces. One commentator put it this way by the name of Hackett. The fire-like appearance presented itself at first as it were, in a single body, then suddenly parted in this direction and that so that a portion of it rests upon each of those present, end of quote. Well, I know when artists and those that teach our children and make workbooks for our children and whatever have depicted little flames of fire over people's heads, well, of course, I wouldn't have got my hair singed, but there was no flames of fire. There was no, no burning going on. But it's John is, or Luke is describing how it just burst apart, if you will, when the glory of God came in. It just danced, as it were, and moved across like, well, as he said, like as a fire. Again, we're getting like as, like the sound of, like as a fire. The same way that a huge bonfire that you have, Roasting your wieners and, and marshmallows and whatever. It flames up and bursts off and the sparks go here and there. Oh, Lord, I'd like to see. It would be a great thing to be able to see literally, physically, but it would be a wonderful thing as well to see it spiritually jump from one to one to one to one and all over. Yeah. See people, wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Come to church Sunday night, Sunday evening and, and whatever and, 
And we know somebody's going to be here without the Holy Ghost, like somebody's here tonight without the Holy Ghost. And to be able to see the Spirit of God just begin to jump or move, maybe jumps the right, not the right word to use, to fill everybody. The Bible says, it sat upon each of them, all filled with the Holy Ghost spontaneously. 120 people began to speak in a language they had never spoken before. No one, no one looked at others. No one laid hands on others. They all received the Holy Ghost. And they all received it at the same time. And they began to speak with other tongues. And from what followed, it's obvious that many were speaking in the languages of those nations, however many there were, that were represented 16, 15, whatever. You count it. Somebody count it for me and figure out how many there were. Verse 8 tells us in Acts chapter 2, the people Christ called out. I don't know who the spokesmen were, but Luke says, How hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. How's, how's this? Be All these are Galileans. All of these are Galileans. And while they no doubt spoke two languages, they spoke the Hebrew as well as the, uh, the, the language of where they were. Amen. But anyway, they were, they, were, they were so amazed. The Bible says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was none of this, see my time, my time, my time, my time, my time, my time, my time. It was none of that shandai, 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 say it so many times and so fast, that's talking in tongues. No, it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit. Amen. All, all, all an individual, I know this is simple, but it's, 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 it's factual. All one needs to do is believe, obey God, believe, open their mouth, turn loose of their tongue, and let God have control. And God Feels he'll take control and speak for himself. The crowd that gathered around as what had taken place, the Bible said it was noised abroad. Uh, let me back up something else here. I'm getting off Kelter. Maybe I meant to, but anyway, it says there was 120 in that upper room. Now I have had the privilege of being in the room that they called the upper room. I'm from Missouri. I doubt seriously that was the room. I doubt if they had 120 in that upper room, they'd be shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder almost. You've been there. You agree? Am I out of step? Amen. So, so I, you know, it's like, oh, Lord. I started to get on, on, on this on this. Anyway, don't let me do that, Lord. Well, it's up to you, Walls, where you go. But anyway, uh, I don't know where they were. It doesn't matter, except for the fact they were in an upper room. But these 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 tourist guides and tourist play, uh, people want to tell us this is where it happened. This is where it happened. Well, I don't care. I just I'm glad it happened. Amen. I don't care where you receive the Holy Ghost. I'm just hopeful and thankful you did receive the Holy Ghost. I've heard of people receiving it in the field. I've heard Brother Jerry uh, received it in his workshop and, and, and whatever. And, and Brother, uh, you talked about somebody receiving it by his, by his tire of his truck. So it, it, 
It doesn't matter where. You don't have to be in this. You can receive the Holy Ghost sitting in the pew. Amen. We have witnessed that, haven't we? But anyway, it was noised abroad that witnessed uh, something that they had never witnessed before. And because of the excitement, oh, the excitement, oh my goodness, the excitement uh, and confusion of the crowd, the door was, was open for man to whom the Lord had given the keys of the kingdom to preach a very stirring message. We have no way of knowing none whatsoever. It wasn't in that kind of upper room or in that particular upper room, I don't think. But we have no way of knowing the setting of these events as to where the crowd was, how they were. It was noise abroad. That was a great crowd to get. 3,000 were converted that day. I know there weren't 3,000 in that room. But anyway... And then to have that large crowd gather to observe and to inquire what was taking place, we are at a loss to, to real or to know. It doesn't again matter where Peter was, regardless of the pulpit from which he preached that message. Again, it wasn't the pulpit and it wasn't the location. It was the message and the power of the Spirit that made the difference. He reminded them of what was taking place. They, some said they're, they're drunk and whatever, and Peter let them know that's not the case. It's just the third hour of the day. But he says, this is that that one of your prophets said would occur, according to Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 through 30. And then the clinching remarks of Peter, where he said in verse 36 of Acts 2, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord, he's God, he's master, and Christ, he's Messiah. Amen. And, and this resulted in a question, of course. The people are stirred up by now at the preaching of, of, of Peter. The Bible in verse uh, 37 says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Would to God we could see people walking off the street and say, Pastor, what shall I do? What shall we do? How can we have what you folks have? How can we experience what we know we see that you have? How can we, would that there would be such a hunger? The statement from Peter in this verse, in his response, is the same statement that ought to be preached from every pulpit in the whole wide world. In verse 38, Peter said, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall, whoa, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises, verse 39, for the promises unto you and to your children and all that are far off in Medora, Indiana, and all whom the Lord shall call. Amen. Hallelujah. This response is the same response that ought to be made uh, today. Instead of this wishy-washy, accept Christ as your Savior. My, my. Now, Peter said, repent. Repentance is about face, turning, going in a different direction, changing, if you will, turning from your, your, your pattern of life you have been living. And I've got to hurry. I even gave myself four more minutes, and I'm still running out of time. Repent 
Turn from what you, the direction you've been going. Turn, make an about face. Turn around. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is quitting. And then baptism. Baptism. It's, baptism is absolutely necessary, essential in order to receive God's blessings and, to, and, and have remission of sins. Baptism for, for the remission of sins. Nothing else, let me emphasize, nothing else can remit your sins. We may repent, we may say, God, I'm sorry, and God may say, I forgive you, but your sins are still there. The guilt is, the Adamic, Adamic nature is still there. Only baptism washes away the sin. Only baptism remits sin. Nothing else. And I've compared it in times past uh, as, as, as Johnny praying out in the mud and coming in the house and he's got his britches all muddied up and he is looking at mom and mom is, well, anyway, she's saying to Johnny, he's saying, I'm sorry, mommy, I got all muddy. Mommy can say, I'll, I'll forgive you. Just take your britches off and I'll take care of them. I've forgiven John, Johnny. You can go get you some new britches, but the mud's still there. Forgiveness doesn't remove it. Forgiveness just offers a God's compassion, his love, his mercy. But to get rid of that mud, you got to go down in the water. In the name of Jesus Christ. And then the wonderful promise, receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Now, it is called the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is called the gift because... We don't deserve it. And there's nothing we can do or enough money out of Fort Knox or everywhere else to pay for it. So it's God's gift. It's God's gift. But you'll never receive it until you repent. You'll never receive it until you believe God. You'll never receive it. Repentance is something we do that only we can do and must do. Baptism is something that someone else must do for us. I can't baptize myself. I, well, amen. Anyway, but the Holy Ghost, you see, it involves three, doesn't it? It involves me, I must repent. It involves a preacher, he must baptize me. And number three, whoo, God gives us the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> Talk about a holy trinity, that's, 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 anyway. We, we elect to repent. A preacher that baptizes, ex, ex, uh, accepts us and elects to re, uh, baptize us and God elects. And he will not give us the Holy Ghost until this heart is acceptable and receptive and this mind yeah. is believing and ready to receive it. Amen. Oh, I was going to go on to some other places, but only got... 10 minutes. Can I reset my clock? <laughs> no, no. Let me just hurriedly go through Actually, the first place afterwards. I know there's different references, but the first were the direct reference, I guess I'll say, is concerning Philip and Samaria in Acts chapter 8, where Philip, he was one of those uh, deacons, I guess we could call them servants, and he went to, he went to Samaria and was preaching there. And the Bible in, in uh, uh, tells us there was great joy in that city and they were they accepted the message witnessing the message of uh, Philip as well as witnessing the miracles 
that had been performed at his, uh, through his ministry. And the Bible tells us that they had been baptized in the name of Jesus. They saw their need. They heard the message, and they were baptized, but they didn't have the Holy Ghost. And so the Bible tells us how, I don't know how, but Peter and John found out about it, and Peter and John left Jerusalem and went down to Samaria. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 and verse 11, then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now remember, Peter's the man with the keys. He was the one that spoke on the day of Pentecost to open the door, if you will, if I can put it that way, for the, gent for the Jews that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost. And here the Samaritans, that's a different group altogether. They're neither Jews nor Gentiles. They're in-betweeners. They're a mixture of both, I guess we'll say. And they call them Samaritans. And they, remember Jesus said one time, I must needs go through Samaria. The Jews had nothing to do with Samaria, the Samaritans. Uh, but anyway, anyway, uh, they received the Holy Ghost when Peter and John laid their hands upon them because, again, Peter's the man with the keys. And we get later in chapter 10 uh, where the Gentiles are added. I know I've heard preachers say about the, the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 where Philip preached to that eunuch. He was reading the scriptures and he says, who's this man talking about him, himself or somebody else? You know the story. And he preached unto him uh, Jesus. And, and some preachers said, whoo, here's the first Gentile. No, he wasn't a Gentile. The first Gentile to be filled with the Holy Ghost or to receive the No, that eunuch wasn't. He'd been to, Israel, to Jerusalem worshiping God. He's one of those dispersed Jews that had been able to come back to Jerusalem and worship God. He was on his way back home reading from what Gentile will be reading from the book of Isaiah? He was reading the book of Isaiah and, 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 and Philip preached to him. Amen. No, no Gentile received the Holy Ghost to Acts chapter 10. Remember Peter's on the housetop. He's hungry. He's waiting to get something to eat. And the Lord shows him a vision three different times about unclean animals. And, and he tells Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter said, Lord, not so. I've never had any unclean thing. And God shows him again and again. And finally, he must have been a Missourian almost too. He finally gets it through his thick head. God's telling him, nobody's clean or unclean that I have declared clean. Right. Amen. Amen. I know it doesn't go just like that, but anyway, God says, what, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou unclean. That's the way God put it. In verses 34 and 35, Peter finally makes it to the house of Cornelius. He takes six Jews with him to have, have observers, witnesses of what's going to take place. And the Bible said, Peter said, of a truth, I, about time, Peter, of a truth I perceive God, that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's one of the first things Peter said to the household of Cornelius. And then in verse 44, the Bible says, hey, Peter didn't get to finish his message, did he? While, yet, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Right before Peter's eyes and before those six Jews that went with him, in verse 45, the Bible says, they of the circumcision which believe were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles, those filthy, 
Henri Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, there might have been a difference in race. There might have been a difference in people. There might have been a difference in nationality. But when God fills somebody with the Holy Ghost, it's the same spirit. It's the same glory. Amen. Now, although, now, this is something else to be emphasized, I think. Although the Gentiles here were unique, they received the Holy Ghost and said, Whoa, that's good. You both spoke. You're Christians. You're child. You're saved. You've been speaking in tongues. But Peter said, Oh, can any forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Spirit as well as we? And in verse 48 of chapter 10 of the book of Acts, the Bible says, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Amen. Gentiles, Cornelius, your cousins, uncles, aunts, and nephews, and, and whatever, I know you've spoken in tongues, but that's not all there is to God's plan. You still got to get rid of that Adamic nature into which you were born, of which you were born. And the only way to do that is to get baptized in the name of Jesus. And it was not a, it was not a choice. Peter said, now, if you folks want to, you know, when saved people get, get, get saved, sometimes they choose to get baptized. And they only get baptized to show their appreciation to God. They're thankful they're saved, and so they get baptized. Hogwash. You need to get baptized to wash away your sins. Amen. And then, then one, one, one more place. In Acts chapter 19, Peter met some 12 disciples uh, there in Ephesus, uh, another group, if you will. And he, he recognized them as being religious men somehow or other. And he asked them the pertinent question in verse eight, uh, in verse two of chapter 18, of chapter 19. Yes, that's right, isn't it? Chapter 19 and verse two. They, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, here you are, religious folks. Something's wrong then of your baptism. So that was the next question. Unto what then were you baptized? And that's when he, they opened up and said, unto John's baptism. And in, in Matthew 3 and verse 11 is where John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. John's baptism was, to re, was not to remit sin. It was to acknowledge sin. Baptize them unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is not mightier after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Amen. And so Paul preached to them to explain to them what John was saying and the fact, the necessity of go beyond John. Uh, the, the, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Amen. Amen. The law and the prophets were until John, uh, rather Paul did, didn't just drop the matter there, but he went on to speak to them and explain to them. And the Bible tells us in verses five and six, when they heard this, this is your last verse. When they heard, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and what they did, spake in tongues. 
and prophesied. Amen. Another example, if you will, for us of here's some people, they've already been baptized. Isn't that good enough? I'm already religious. Isn't that good enough? I've been, in, I've been embracing a religion for a long time now, Paul. Isn't that good enough? No, it wasn't John's day, but a new day has dawned. What took place on Calvary, I guess we could say in a sense, annulled what took place before that. The law is no longer valid. Baptism unto repentance is no longer valid. The only thing that's valid in this day is repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Amen. So none of these things were sufficient as to the fact that they were disciples. They had been baptized. And obviously they were very sincere in what they had done and what they were doing. But none of that was sufficient to, uh, to qualify, I guess we could say, to be a child of God. Anyone who has never been baptized properly in the name of Jesus Christ should submit to water baptism in Jesus' name in order to feel, fulfill the word of God. I had a woman many, many years ago and oh, hush. Um, after preaching, I was walking back through the church and she stopped me. She said, Brother Walls, what about Matthew 20, 19? So I sat down beside her and I, I don't know if she already had open or not, but anyway, it was open to Matthew 20. And I said, I said, read it. What does it say? That we're to baptize in the name of the Father. And I stopped her. I said, what is his name? What is the name of the Father? She looked at me and said, God? I said, no. That's who he is. That's what he is. But that's not his name. I know his name tonight. His name is Jesus. And he wants to fill us with his spirit. And so, and, and let me, I don't need to go there, but. Anyone who has not been filled with the Holy Ghost, that's our subject matter, of course, and I know we've touched on people and events, but that's, that's important. That's necessary. We'll get into that at a later time, but there must be repentance. It's not, it's not an option. There must be water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not an option. We must be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not an option. That's a requirement. That's a commandment. And in closing, let me say, and we are praying come Pentecost Day in June, the first, is it the first or second Sunday? Oh, God, would that we could have a Pentecost would that we could see 120 here and witness a Pentecost, an outpouring of God's, God's glory. You know, but let me re remind us, the book of Acts, as I began our study tonight, saying that this is really the only book that sinners need to read is the book of Acts because that's the only place they'll find the plan of salvation. 
John 3.16 is a good verse, but it doesn't tell me how to be saved. But the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, tells me. The book of Acts is the only book in our 66 books of our Bible that has no amen at the end of it, if you will, or no period or exclamation mark. There was no ending to the book of Acts. It's still alive. It's still alive. I would to God and I pray to God that we can add in Medora Pentecostal Church. Amen. On Pentecost Sunday, if not before, that we could add another verse. Would you stand? That we could add another verse to the book of Acts. That so and so received the Holy Ghost at the Medora Pentecostal Church on the corner of Central and Elm Street in that little town of Medora. <laughs> My spirit moved through that congregation, rested upon souls in that place. <laughs> I spoke through that yielded instrument as they spoke in another tongue, another language. Oh God, help us, Lord. Help us to add some to the book of Acts during this occasion. Would you praise him tonight? Would you worship him tonight? <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.